There's a disease in our society today, and I'm not speaking of the COVID-19 virus that we have struggled with over the past two years, but rather the disease of self-righteousness, the disease to need to be right all the time. This disease has infected marriages, families, relationships, friendships. It has spread into the public square, school board meetings, the boards of supervisors, and even churches. I've talked with church members who have said that certain topics are off limits when they are home with their family for the holidays. We just don't go there, Pastor Bob. Some have allowed a disagreement to drive a wedge into their marriage. Others have emotional cutoff from a family member for years because of a decades-old grudge. And there are even churches where Christians don't speak to one another because of something that happened a long, long time ago. So today we're going to talk about healthy conflict resolution. It's neat how when you do a series on a book in the Bible that God places things right in your pathway as you're navigating through it. And so I feel that what he shares today is very helpful for all of us. Conflict isn't bad at all. It actually is a good thing if it's handled in a healthy way. It can be very fruitful if we address it with a Christ-like spirit. And this is appropriate. I mean, this is precisely the approach that the Apostle Paul took when he addressed the church conflict between two members of the Philippian congregation. And you've already heard their names read as we share the scripture. But before Paul dealt with the disagreement between these members, he did something else that I believe is critically important. He reminded them that he loved them. In chapter 4, verse 1, he calls them his brothers and sisters. The Greek is adelphos. They were, however, more than just brothers and sisters. They were dear brothers and sisters. He uses the word beloved. The Greek is agapetos, which is from agape, the agape love of God, the unconditional love of God, the highest form of love. So they were dear brothers and sisters, beloved brothers and sisters. And then he says, I love you. And I long to see you. I long to be with you. You are my joy and you are my crown, he says. Joy is translated from kara in the Greek and crown is translated from stephanos. It's where we get the word Stephen. Literally translated Stephen means the crown or the garland or the wreath that was placed on the head of an athlete in the Greek games as they were awarded the victory prize. It's not a golden crown like a diadem, but rather a crown uh, of olive leaves interwoven with parsley and bay leaves, writes one commentator. So he's saying that you are my joy, you are my crown, my greatest joy. Uh, it's very clear that the Philippians were his most favorite of all the churches that he had planted. He reaffirms his deep love for them. 
He reminded them of what he had just written in chapter 3, which was that they were to imitate him as he imitated Jesus. Follow my example, he, he reminds them. Live according to the pattern we gave you as we have been teaching you over the years. Be citizens of heaven, chapter 3, verse 20. Live like Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But after reminding them of his deep love for them, he then addresses them as a spiritual father because there's a conflict in the church. Paul doesn't describe the details of the conflict at all. Commentators have made suggestions, but it's not necessary to go there. It's just a conflict that happened, and he's addressing it. I believe that if it was if it were a doctrinal issue, that he would have said something. So it probably didn't go to that level, but obviously it was important enough for him to address it in this letter and to actually name the people who needed to resolve their differences. So let's look at what he does in these verses. The first thing is he addresses there is a conflict. He did not sweep it under the rug. How often... Do we try to avoid conflict, especially in church, because we come to church because we want to be here and it's supposed to be a joyful place. But sometimes disagreements happen and it's easy for us to not get confrontational. We sweep, sweep something under the rug and don't deal with it. But we all know that when we avoid things, they come back later. They always do. So Paul addresses the fact that there is actually a conflict. He loved them enough to speak truth. God wants us to love one another enough to be willing to sit at the table to resolve our differences. The second thing is he named the responsible people and he encouraged them to agree with each other. The Greek word he uses is phroneo, translated agree. It means to be of the same mind or to be harmonious, just like our choir seeks to be when they lead us in worship, they are in harmony with one another. And thank you, choir, for doing the hard work. That doesn't happen just by showing up. You have to practice. And so I believe that Paul is saying, practice resolving your differences of being the same mind because it will always be helpful. We find this word ten times in his letter to them. We also see this letter where Jesus addressed the apostle Peter when Peter rebuked Jesus. And Peter, Jesus told Peter that he did not have the mind, the same mind of the things of God. So here he's saying, be of one mind. Work things out. Agree in the Lord, he says. Not only agree, anybody can do that. We can be out in any organization and try to agree, but we are called to agree in the Lord. In verse 2, agree in the Lord because it is the Lord's interest and opinion that are ultimately most important, not those of either of the women. It's what Jesus says that matters most. And he's exhorting them to be one, as he reminded them in chapter 1, verse 27, and to be like-minded, as he says in chapter 2, verse 2, and to do that in the Lord and then he affirms their leadership. In the middle of 
this exhortation, he acknowledges that they are significant leaders and that the, the church will come alongside and help with this process. One scholar writes, the fact that Paul named these women indicates their importance within the church. They were leaders. They were significant leaders. Moreover, he also described them as ones who struggled beside him in the gospel, along with both Clement and the rest of his co-workers whose names are in the book of life. These women were in conflict, but more than that, they were in the book of life. They were followers of Jesus. They had committed their lives to following Jesus. And Paul is reminding them to agree in the Lord because that fact that they are sisters in the Lord supersedes any difference that they might have. And because of their faith in Jesus Christ, Paul is is saying, you can resolve this and any other disagreements that you might have because all things are possible with God if we will simply allow him to work in our situation. He mobilized the entire church to resolve this issue. For these women, it could have easily been men. There can be no unity unless it is unity in Christ. The most diverse people can be held together if they place their allegiance first and foremost in Jesus Christ. Their loyalty to one another depends on their loyalty to him. True fellowship in the church of Jesus Christ is impossible without the lordship of Jesus. Leaders, as he points out in addressing them by name, are not exempt from the standards expected of everyone else. And what are those standards again? In Christ. We resolve our differences according to the ways and teachings of Jesus. He points back to Jesus every time. What does that mean for us? What does it mean to resolve our differences in Jesus' name, according to the teachings of Jesus? If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. It might be helpful for you. And the first one is to recognize that the other person matters. That when we come to the table, we acknowledge the other person is a child of God just as we are. Do you remember what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he talked about reconciliation? Listen to verse 17 through 19. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything has become new. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. Any of you still balance your checkbook? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. Some of you use the online banking, but do any of you still use a paper check register and you reconcile when your bank statement comes in? I learned from my dad every month when that statement comes in, you paper, it was the paper statement. Mel, uh, in our house, Melanie does it all online now, but uh, back in or early in our marriage, I loved getting that paper statement. 
It would come in the mail, and I would sit down with the check register just like my dad did. We did the exact same thing. And go through, balance that statement to the penny, and then get a yellow highlighter in the check register and write B-A-L for balance and put the date and the amount over on the other side and then highlight the whole thing. <laughs> to the penny, I was so excited when I would be able to balance to the penny. And if I was off even a dime, I would not give up until I found where I made the mistake. This word translated reconcile is borrowed from old accounting terminology in the first century, which meant coin for coin, equal value, every one mattered the same as it was exchanged. And when we translate this in our thinking of reconciliation with one another and with God, it's that everyone matters. Just as every cent matters in that checking account when you're balancing or reconciling it, spiritually in the Christian life, everyone matters to God. And because everyone matters to God, uh, that person should matter to us too. When used in relationship, reconciliation is a restoration of the recognition of humanity. It means coming back to a place where people are seen as people instead of objects. When we see people as people, they count like we count. We recognize their humanity as well as our own. Reconciliation in Christ means that we see the other person's humanity and their worth. They matter because to us because they matter to God. Henry Nouwen writes, To the degree that we accept that through Christ we ourselves have been reconciled to God, we can be messengers of reconciliation for others. Essential to the work of reconciliation is a non-judgmental presence. We are not sent to the world to judge, to condemn, to evaluate, to classify, or to label. So we recognize that every person matters. And second, we seek first to understand and then to be understood. If you like Stephen Covey's writing, that's the fifth habit in his seven habits of highly effective people. Seek first to understand the other and then to be understood. God wants us to listen to one another. And y'all, as we go through our visioning journey, as Sandra did such a wonderful job reporting in the early service and today, we will have conflict or disagreement. We're people and we will have those. And our ability to resolve those with the lordship of Jesus at the very center is, well, that's what we will do. That's what it's all about. If we allow him to be at the center, he will guide us and show us the way. James wrote, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Number three, be humble. Simply Put others first. This is what Jesus did. Do you remember when James and John were arguing over who would get the right hand, the seat at the right hand of, of Jesus in glory? And do you remember what Jesus said to him, to them? Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, 
And whoever wants to be first must be servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul talked about this in chapter 2 when he wrote of how Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and then out of humility, dying on the cross on our behalf. Be humble. Number four, love like Jesus. Don't you enjoy reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13? It's, it's the, known as the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast and so forth. I'd like for you to hear those verses today, substituting the name Jesus for the word love. Listen freshly as I read. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects. Jesus always trusts. Jesus always hopes. Jesus always perseveres. And in verse 8, the first part, Jesus never fails. Keep love at the very center of our relationships as we seek to resolve our differences. And he'll never fail you. Jesus will never fail you. He says, I will not, never abandon you or forsake you. I will be with you always into the end of the age. Two more. This is the fifth one. Sacrifice the need to be right. This is the disease I talked about at the beginning of the sermon. The disease of self-righteousness. The disease of the need to be right that has affected infected, I would say, so many relationships. But there's a great story that helps us to see this. You might remember Watchman Nee. He was a second born of a second generation Christian parents in Fuchao, China in 1903. I believe in the early 50s, he was imprisoned for his Christian faith under the communist rule. And he died on May 30th, 1972. He was able to do some writings, and I quote today from a book he, a little book called Sit, Walk, Stand. It's a study on Ephesians. And he tells the story in this little book of a rice farmer there in China. And he would use a treadmill to pull water out of an irrigation stream, and then a water wheel would deliver the water into his rice field, and you know, they would flood the rice field. And he would do that during the drought so that he would have successful crops until the rain game. Well, his neighbor had two rice fields just below his, and one night he noticed that the neighbor came and dug a trench 
between the breach between the fields and all of his water drained out into his neighbor's fields. His neighbor was stealing his water. This is not just a modern phenomenon, y'all. This Christian rice farmer would repair the breach, do the hard work to get more water from the irrigation stream, flood his rice fields, and then his neighbor did the same thing a second night, a third night, a fourth night, and he was beside himself. This isn't right. I'm so frustrated. Before he said something to the neighbor, he appealed to some of the trusted members of his church, some Christians that might be able to shed some wisdom on the situation. And they talked about it and prayed about it. And he said this, I have tried to be patient and not retaliate, but this isn't right. And the trusted Christian brother said, if we only try to do the right thing, surely we are very poor Christians. We have to do something more than what is right. So the next morning, this Christian farmer filled his neighbor's field purse with water. And then later that afternoon, filled his own. And his neighbor never took water from him again. In fact, his neighbor said, when they saw each other, I noticed you filled my fields. Why'd you do that? Because that was what Jesus would have me to do. And his neighbor then wanted to know more about this Jesus and accepted Christ as his Savior and Lord and became part of the church. Y'all, we are called to do more than what is right. And I pray that that will guide our relationships and help us to resolve the differences that come between us. And the last thing is simply this. It's very brief, but very important. Pray, pray, pray. Pray, pray, pray. None of this will happen without prayer. Pray, pray, pray. The Apostle Paul said, do not be anxious about anything. Even the disagreements we might have, do not be anxious about anything. For in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. May we do more than what is right. In Jesus' name, let us pray.